today's scripture is Colossians 1, 24 through 29. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. So I don't know how many art history buffs we have here, but regardless of what our art history education is, Uh, Chances are, if we don't know any other painting in the world, uh, we all can at least recognize the Mona Lisa, right? We see a picture of it, we go, oh yeah, that's the Mona Lisa. And we're usually seeing it on a television screen or something, and it just looks like an ordinary painting. I've never seen the real thing. Maybe some of you have. It's 20 by 31, uh, and it's behind bulletproof glass now, of course, because it's been stolen and all those fun things. People have thrown stuff at it. Uh, But it's there preserved as probably the most famous painting in the world there in Paris. Leonardo da Vinci painted this portrait in Florence. Sometime he started it between 1503 and 1519. And... There's so many different features that you hear people talk about the Mona Lisa, you know, her eyes are turned so that it's, she's more actively participating in our viewing of the art. Uh, she's an ordinary woman. There's all kinds of notable features that many of us as non-art history buffs don't understand, but could probably appreciate and worth the conversation. But this painting was commissioned in 1503 as a portrait, and as you know, only the wealthiest folks could commission paintings. I mean, it, it wasn't something that just anybody could do, and especially somebody like da Vinci at this point in his life. And so it was commissioned, and what's crazy about the story of the Mona Lisa is da Vinci never turned it over to the person that commissioned it for it. I mean, he, he, he held on to the Mona Lisa for years. That's why we don't know exactly when he painted it or when he finished it, because he literally carried it around with him for years and years. And each year he would make these small improvements. He would make, he would make changes and it was oil painting on poplar wood so he had some versatility and he would, he would just you know wake up one day and then he would make some adjustments. And then he would let it sit for well, however many months and he would pick it up and work on it again. And year by year he was adding and reworking elements. 
And so it's not surprising that it was something that he loved. And because it was something he loved and something that he had seen that he wanted to show the world, it's not surprising that with that much time and that much care and the hands of someone with that much skill that we wouldn't get something like what we know as the Mona Lisa today. It's really a true definition of a masterpiece, something that is finally reaches a point where the artist says, ah, yes, now it's finished. Now I've worked where I want to work, and here it is. In today's text, Paul says that, you know, Jesus we proclaim, and we admonish everyone, we teach everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Another translation of this word mature is perfect. We admonish, we work, we teach with all the energy that is within us. We do this so that we can present everyone perfect. So we can present everyone as God's masterpiece. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that God powerfully works within me. The Greek word for mature or perfect is teleon. Teleon, it would be like the noun form would be teleos, and it would be, we would say, you know, okay, so we're, we're working on a paper, and we would ask one another, what's the teleos of your paper? Or you're starting a, a project, and you're sketching it out, and we'd say, what's the teleos of your, of your product, the telos of your project? And that would just mean, what's the final purpose of your project? What's the end goal? You're starting this race, like where, how, how soon till you finish, and what is your goal? Where are you gonna end up? So when it's an adjective, it refers to something being perfected, something being grown up, something being mature. And so, teleon is another way of saying, I think, what it's made for. You know, it reaches that point where it's, it's attained what it was created for. Boom, there we have it. The Da Vinci is finished. We've been working on it, working on it, working on it, but it's finished. Uh, I love to build things, and so for me, I think of certain things that, that we build from time to time where I would finish something and say, ah, that's perfect. Well, it doesn't mean that it's like the most perfect thing that's ever been done. It just means that in the case of, say, hanging a door, that we would look at it and say, ah, it's perfect. It's plumb. It's square. Uh, The door, when it's open, it doesn't fly open one way. It doesn't slam shut the other way, but it just swings like it's supposed to. The hinges aren't in a bind, so it works okay. The door jams are not cattywampus so everything works okay and we just walk away and go man I just hung a perfect door today and it's so pleasing are you 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 that are teachers or you're you're coaching youth sports and you say we have played the perfect game today we really did we we brought in everything that we've learned this year and we just played the perfect game there's a phrase that tries to pick up on what Paul is talking about what Paul is saying he works his whole life to do to present everyone in a certain way uh, the, the language that we use very often to describe this is Christian perfection. Especially as Methodists, we're used to hearing that. John Wesley was huge on this, Christian perfection. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Simply defined, Christian perfection is the greatest commandment. If we love God with all of our heart, and all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, we are perfect in Christ. That's the vision. Another way, it's another way of saying holiness. 
Uh, it's not something that's just weird or foreign to us as Christians, but this is what we recognize that when we're following Jesus, our goal, as Paul said, is to be imitators of God, imitators of Jesus. So when we move in that direction and we're headed there, we are, we would say, perfect. Now, uh, this is not a thing that's new or unique to Methodists by any means, but uh, it, very often in the Methodist history, it was something that was made more, it was, it was you know, lifted up as something more prominent through the ages. People would say, gosh, why are we only preaching half the gospel? Why are we only telling people if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved of your sins and you don't have to spend eternity separated from God, so let's just do that, okay? And you believe, that's great, wonderful. All right, on to the next person. Who else can we find? And we go, yeah, but what's the rest? I mean, what is Paul saying? He's struggling his whole life to present us mature for if all there is is just punching our ticket to heaven and then that's good we're good to go so clearly there's more to the christian life clearly when jesus says this is the greatest commandment to be so filled with love for god that our heart is full our soul is full our mind is full of love of god our strength we find it being spent on god and then we begin to love our neighbors as we would hope to be loved that's radical change that doesn't just happen and it doesn't happen without the power of the spirit so it's something that's been around forever uh, as long as christ has been forming people in the church but at different times it's been uh, lifted up and exalted and appreciated and then other times in the history of the church it's kind of been forgotten and so uh, i think we kind of live in a time where it's you know if you look around and take a survey of american church culture this is something that you don't see a whole lot up. There's an Anglican collect that we would say or pray from time to time. It would have been something that would have been in John, John and Charles Wesley's prayer book as they were, you know, credited being the founders of Methodism. And, and the prayer goes like this, and I think it's even in our hymnal, and you'll recognize it. We pray it something like this a lot. And it is, O oh God, before whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, the prayer is, would you cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your name. So there it is in the language that we may perfectly love God. And of course, it follows that we would perfectly love others. But uh, at least if you're like me, when you hear the word perfection, Christian perfection, you automatically have a negative connotation. Anybody? Because when we hear perfectionism, we rightly go, no, 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 no. We don't want, we, we've, we've done enough damage in the name of perfectionism. You know, any other fellow perfectionists out there? I'm an oldest child. Uh, my, I live with a couple of oldest children. And we, you know, it's, it's a fight for us to just not live every day as though we can earn everything that we need in life. Because we're, I mean, it's just, by golly, oldest, that's what we're going to do. And I know I got some others in here. Perfectionists, we would say that we're perfectionists. Perfectionism seeks favor through flawless behavior. We, we, the, the lie and the rabbit trail of perfectionism is that we, we, we can do enough things in, in the right way that it will make everyone around us love us, that we won't have any adversity at work, that everything will go well just because we did everything right. And as you know, that's an exhausting way to live and it actually doesn't work. It actually beats us up, it wears us out, and it doesn't take us where we want to go. So that's a whole nother thing in itself, but that's not what Christian perfection is. So in order to help us understand what Christian perfection is, I thought I'd take a minute and talk about what Christian perfection is not. Now remember, this is the, the bit where Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Okay? And, and he wouldn't tell us that or ask us that if it wasn't possible, if it wasn't real. He's not teasing us. He's not trying to set us up for failure. So a couple of things that Christian perfection is not. And again, this would, any, any time that Wesley talked about perfection, Christian perfection, he would always use some list like this to say, okay, this is not what we're talking about so that we can see what we are. Christian perfection is not an absolute perfection. There is only one absolutely perfect being in the whole cosmos. And of course, that would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's perfection. That's absolute perfection. In, in whom there is no shifting shadow. There is no shadow at all. There's no darkness at all. All light in the triune God. So we know that's absolutely perfect. Um, clearly, we are not perfect like that. And we cannot be made perfect like that. Uh, we, we will be perfect in some sense like that in, in, in the next life. But we can't get there now. And so um, when, God, when, when the scripture writers tell us to, you know, they quote the Old Testament and say, be holy as I am holy. God would say to us, be holy as I am holy. This means be holy. Of course, we can be holy in kind, but not in degree. And so that's what we're talking about. We talk about holiness, perfection. Um, it's not an absolute perfection. So it's okay for us to just go ahead and eliminate from our vocabulary now. When we're talking about Christian perfection, we're talking about growing in Christ. We don't have to remind each other, Oh, you know, well, I'm not perfect, but, okay, we get, we get it. We all know we're not perfect. None of us are perfect, and none of us started there. None of us are, you know, that we understand that we're not perfect, like, absolutely. We get it. We know that. So that sometimes becomes a cop-out for us to be like, well, you know, I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not perfect. I mean, I know I should have done something different, but I'm not perfect. And we all do that. But anyway, that's not, that's not the kind of perfection that we're talking about today. Um, Christian perfection is not freedom from things like infirmities. We can still get sick. You can perfectly love God and perfectly love your neighbor, be totally sanctified in that way, and you can still get cancer. You can still get sick. This, is not, this does not eliminate us from the hardships of life. Um, being perfectly uh, sanctified and having perfect love for God and neighbor uh, does not prevent us from being ignorant. Uh, we, we won't know everything just because we're loving God well and loving each other well. It, it doesn't automatically give us all knowledge about all things in all the world. Uh, so we're still going to have things that we miss. Uh, we're still going to make common mistakes. You know, we're still going to miss math problems. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't love God. It just means that we're, we missed a math problem. So it doesn't make us statically perfect. Uh, but it's a kind of a perfection of the soul that truly makes us different, that makes our love grow and uh, it works within us, works from the inside out. It's all about grace. Uh, so Christian perfection does not eliminate the possibility of future sin. So it doesn't eliminate the possibility of temptation. We're going to be tempted just like uh, anyone else when we've reached a, a, a state of Christian perfection. And then finally, uh, Christian perfection is not a works righteousness. It is not something that we achieve by working harder, by doing more right, like in the sense that we're earning it. That's obviously not what is meant by this idea of holiness. So what is Christian perfection? What is holiness uh, as we uh, would, would come to understand it from a biblical perspective? Christian perfection is a state of perfect love. So when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, if you look at the context, it's all about loving even our enemies, right? It's about uh, when, it, when, it's, when we can in our strength is turning the other cheek. 
when we get embarrassed and, and not letting that shame overtake us and not returning shame for shame. But instead, uh, we, we make a strong response and we love even our enemies. That's the kind of perfection that love, that love achieves that uh, Jesus is talking about here. Christian perfection is the freedom not only from the guilt of sin, and we realize we've been saved and God has forgiven us, but also a freedom from the power of sin, the kind of sin that would weigh us down, have hold on us, uh, that we would feel like we were just you know, not able to get free from. That this kind of way of life is, it frees us from the power of sin by God's grace. Christian perfection, as we said, is, is loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourself. Christian perfection is simply a gift of God's grace that we receive and then we, and then we work it out. You know, it's like receiving a certain ability and then you take it and perfect it and work it w- with God to make it stronger, like a muscle that we would work, a, a skill. And uh, that's, that's how this works out. It, it's sometimes received gradually, sometimes instantaneously, usually a combination of both, and it's something that should be sought by everyone. All of us uh, should be seeking God in this way that we go, Lord, may, you know, we sing, think of so many of our great hymns, right? Take time to be holy. Have thine own way, Lord, we just sang, right? I, I, I am the clay, you're the potter. Uh, mold me and make me after your will. That's, that's a vision of Christian perfection. That's what it looks like. Christian perfection is a renewal of our fallen nature. You know, we talk all the time, rightly so, that we're born with original sin and our dispositions and our intentions, our inclinations are evil from birth. I mean, we just, nobody gets away from that. We're all there. Even the sweetest little baby is all, you're holding them and you're, and you're just looking at them and you're going, oh, you're so beautiful, you're so wonderful. And we know deep down that like, that's, that's where they're headed because that's where we're all headed. And so it requires this work of the Spirit to recover our fallen nature, to renew our fallen nature and to change our very dispositions, changes our desires. It changes what we want. It changes how we go after what we want. It's real, deep life change. So this is kind of what Paul's talking about when he says, I work, I'm working with all God's energy that God powerfully works within me. It's really the same word. It's the same Greek word that when the, what God is working in us and then what we're working over here. So it's like Paul is saying, I, I'm working, I'm toiling with all God's energy that God powerfully energies within me, if we were to make that a verb. That's, that's the same word. It's God is working and we join the work. We step in and we become co-laborers. We become co-workers in God's grace and it changes everything. It's just shocking to me every time I read this that Paul says, this is the thing that I work for. This is what I'm toiling and striving for. With everything that God gives me, this is what I'm putting my energy towards. And uh, in this, when we read Colossians 1, 28 and 29, uh, one, of the, one of the great things about this, though, uh, I think another tendency we hear about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We think about Christian perfection, and we think sometimes, well, that's for those Navy SEAL Christians. You know, that's for those spiritually elite people. That's for those people that just... Man, they just always want to go to the prayer vigil. They always want to do the stuff. They show up at everything. They, they just seem to, they just open their mouth and they just speak wisdom. They never say a bad word about anybody. About, you know, it's all the stuff. It's just, though, it's only those elite people. But really, Paul is interested in everybody. He uses the word everyone three times in those two short verses. Everyone. I work so that everyone will get everyone, everyone. He has in mind everyone. This is not a spiritual elite. This is a reachable goal for every single Christian. 
This is a mission. This is a ministry. This is a way of life for every single Christian. It's not for the clergy. It's not for the choir directors. It's for everybody. This is our goal. This is our whole hope is to be transformed in this way. And the great news in the fact that it is a daunting mission, uh, the great news is that it's not a solo mission and it's not a dry, joyless mission. To be holy, to be made perfect in Christ is a joyful experience. And Paul knew that. That's why he was willing to spend his life doing it. He's like, there's no better life than this right here. This, This gives us more life than we could ever find on our own. It is true freedom. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says in another place, you know, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And the pathways are endless for what that looks like in the world. And so it's almost as though when we welcome each other to worship or we sit down to Bible study together or we go visit someone in the hospital or we call a friend on the phone, it's like we're greeting them in the name of Jesus and what is implied is that I am on a journey to be made perfect, mature in Christ. You are on a journey to be made perfect, mature in Christ. Let's go there together. I need you and you need me. Thank you for encouraging me. Here we are together. It doesn't matter with your five or 85 that we, we need each other in this work that we might find true freedom, that we might recognize that each one of us has the opportunity to be perfect, to find what we were called to do. We're all masterpieces. You know, as Paul says in another place, we are God's workmanship. We are being formed in the image of God all the time, renewed, 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 day by day. And it's a glorious calling. It is a glorious inheritance, a gift that we have received that we did not earn, but that we hold in our hands and we hold in our hearts and we work it out, and it changes our lives, changes the lives of those around us. So we together, uh, church, are works of art. We are being carried around by God like da Vinci carried around the Mona Lisa, just carrying around, just working on it. We're giving energy, working, changing this, tweaking that, but it's the beautiful work of art that he will not let go of, and he carries, and one day God will deliver us in that perfect form, and we are on our way there together. Another great news piece of this is that we are not being formed in the image of God. We're not being set free. We're not being given new life just so that we can be full of joy. That's part of it. The other part is so that the world can see the beautiful art. You know, that's why Da Vinci did it. It was, it was so that the world could see something beautiful. And that's what God is up to. He has an interest in everybody knowing that he loves everybody. And so for those that don't know that yet, God is at work in the church to make us a light. That was the mission of God's people forever, a light to the Gentiles. And so that's exactly what Paul sums it up. He says, hey, we are working. This has been the mission for ages and ages, and it's finally revealed in Jesus Christ. And here's the big reveal. Here's the mystery. Christ in y'all. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that is worth, Paul says, spending everything. So... As we wrap up this morning, I just think that this is Paul's way of saying that we have to begin with the end in mind. We have to find ourselves wherever we are on this race and realize that when we started, when we were filled with joy through believing in Jesus and realizing in our baptism that we were loved and that God just absolutely adores us and that there's nothing we can do to, uh, you know, push that love away, that where it'll go away, that God is, loves us perfectly, um, that uh, we're on we're in this race that's just the beginning you know that's the starting pistol and now we're we're on the track and that's what paul wants he just wants to see everybody running he's like i'm going to work 
every day of my life to make sure that people are on the track, to make sure that we're moving in this direction because God's power and God's love and God's energy are that good. They're that great and we just want to be in the mix. You know, we want to be in the flow. It's, it's like being in a river. We just, we want to jump in and we want to move because that's the direction uh, that we want to head. So I invite you to this morning uh, to consider a step that you might take that would be in the direction of being formed in the image of Jesus, something that would free us from something that holds us back and would help us let go, that we might make room in our hearts, make room in our minds, make room in our souls, make room in our strength for the love of God, and that we might be a light to others because of that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.